This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hope all is good with you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, law enforcement officers are true first responders, always first respond to a call for service, whether a crime-related incident or a critical incident or those calls with uncertainty. Yet, there are sometimes unintelligible calls that are made that make it clear they called 911 for a reason. We just don't know what the call's about. Imagine you're on the first, you're, you're first on scene of a mass shooting or a choking child or another officer or civilian who's been critically injured needs immediate attention. Are you up to the task? Is it even something we've been trained to do? Is it something we should be trained to do? Our guest today has taken steps to adding yet another dimension to today's law enforcement officer, that of a trained emergency medical responder. Eric Thomas O'Neill spent 16 years in EMS in Alameda, Santa Clara, and Stanislaw counties in California. He spent 10 years in TACMED, space locally in the Middle East as a contractor for the Emirate Presidential Guard and with the U.S. Air Force Live Tissue Program. He co-founded Raytom Group in 2016 and since then has trained over 5,000 providers in the public safety, military, and partner nation verticals. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Eric O'Neill. Thanks for having me, Jim. Appreciate you. Yeah, we've talked. We've had some good conversations about the issue, and I could hear listeners already saying, oh, no, not another task. <laughs> now they're going to make us doctors. Why do you think it was a good idea to train law enforcement officers to, to cops in EMS? Well, it was kind of an evolution. So um, when we started Radom Group in 2016, it was primarily for the military space. And um, what we started noticing is in our in, in one program in particular, our accelerated EMT course, we would we were starting to get a lot of uh, individual law enforcement guys that would end up popping in the course. And so it was kind of odd that, you know, here we are doing this military course and, and um, you know, every once in a while we would end up getting this, this one cop from this one random department. And as we kind of started to sit down and ask these guys, what's going on here? Um, it, it started out being that, hey, this guy was probably a part of a SWAT team and there was no medical element within that SWAT team. And, and they were building this, you know, tactical program or tactical medical program. Um, but then as the years went on, it started to become hey, we're starting to see a patrol cop coming to take the program. And, you know, as we kind of sat back and looked at it, we we started realizing that there was there was definitely a need in a lot of our, our big metropolitan areas for law enforcement to have medical training. Um, and when you, you kind of reverse engineer that and you look at what cops receive coming out of academy, you look at what cops are receiving um, in their, you know, yearly or quarterly, you know, recertification, uh, there was a big gap in California, which is arguably a really progressive state for law enforcement in what's required and what was, you know, taught to them. And and uh, when you looked in a lot of these major metropolitan areas, just the sheer amount of medical calls that they ended up 
you know, being on to begin with, it, it wasn't making sense. It, it wasn't uh, in terms of the the training that they were receiving and and what they were being asked to do. And so um, we sat down and we really kind of thought about how uh, we could design a program specifically around law enforcement, not around the military, not around EMS, not around fire, but around law enforcement um, and, and, and what would make sense for them. So it was a slow evolution to getting from A to B. Any significant critical incidents or incidents that come to mind to say, yeah, we this is working, we really need to do this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's it's so interesting that the critical incidences that 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 did that, right? Because they they fall on both ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, you have things like what happened in Minnesota, which can uh highlight the need for more medical training for law enforcement. And then you've got active shooters that you know continually happen that can highlight that need. Um, and, and, and in terms of the initial uh, issue of suspects needing good medical assessment, um, you know, cops are so good at assessing scenes. Um, and, and truly, when you start to teach them how to medically assess people, it's, it's honestly the same thing. Um, it's looking for possibilities and probabilities. And so as we start to train these cops, we, we start to realize and, um, that they're very, very, very good at, at picking up things like distress. And so when you when you take that and you kind of extrapolate that and you start to think about how cops can apply that to people in custody complaining of medical issues, huge, right? And we see a lot of departments where there is absolutely zero medical and we have suspects that are dying in custody. Go to the other side of that, we look at active shooters and we have fire departments that are still trying to figure out ways to integrate themselves through rescue task force and stuff like that. Um, we can absolutely see a need in it, having law enforcement being able to transition to to medicine uh, in active shooter or active threat situations as well. So both of these things that we tend to see in the news all the time, we tend to see issues with suspects having medical issues, and we see issues with um, you know things like here in my home state of Texas, Uvalde, you know, 77 minutes before we ended up getting medical to these folks. So there's absolutely uh, issues that that are that are driving this for us. Yeah, you mentioned Uvalde, but I can think of so many others, uh, the Harvest shooting in Nevada and the Pulse nightclub shooting, where I think most policies and protocols across the nation are that until the interior scene, the hot zone is secure by law enforcement, only then will we get EMS fire response inside to start helping victims. And we know that in so many cases, people uh, don't die from their initial injury, but from bleeding out. And, and so time is critical in the response. We get this okay. training, we get first aid training in the academy. You mentioned, uh, you know, some gauze wrapping. Uh, <laughs> maybe we do the AED application. Uh, the CPR is really simple now when they, they took away the, uh, you know, mouth to mouth resuscitation. So cops are already asked to do a lot. How much training in regards to what you're talking about? How much is necessary? Well, we're we're unique and we're bold um, in what we're what we're um, suggesting that that law enforcement can do. And so, um, what we like to see is we want to see um, supervisors, we want to see specialty unit guys throughout major metropolitan departments um, carry their emergency medical technician, their national registry uh, EMT, basic. Um, and then we'd like to see all the rest of the units, um, you know, that are patrol guys that, that don't fall into that category of specialty or 
or, or sergeants um, carry what we call the EMR, which would be a step step below it. Um, again, a bold statement to, to, to get all those guys trained up to do that, but our program is unique in the fact that we can accomplish it in, in 10 days on ground, the, the EMT comp uh, component of that. Um, in EMR, we can embed ourselves into an academy and be uh, have these guys essentially trained up in, in four days. So uh, essentially what we'd like to see is kind of a, a multifaceted response. EMR will give these guys the ability to do a, a good assessment, a good idea of what, what's going on. Um, EMT will take it to a step level with some interventions, um, being able to give some medications, being able to do some things that, that constitute an intervention. Um, and we think that the combination of, of both of those uh, two certification levels would 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 essentially solve a big problem for for law enforcement in terms of rebranding. Mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna go either go over great or it's not gonna go over great. But it's much easier to teach cops medicine than it is firefighters tactics. Um, <laughs> you know, and so there's some firefighters that aren't, aren't gonna be happy with hearing me say that. But but you know having these law enforcement officers understand just the, the basics of emergency medicine can prevent so much. And in the event that cops are asked to do that, that ultimate intervention of, of, you know, either an officer involved shooting or a, 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 a chase or anything like that, where that suspect becomes injured. Um, now we have this ability to immediately uh, transition into rendering care to that suspect. And, and the optics of that are, I think, so important and it may be a solution that law enforcement is is not even realizing that they that they need at this point. Mm -hmm. So, so the training you're talking about goes beyond that first aid that we get in the academy. For you're sure. talking about packing wounds, uh, you know, gunshot clot uh, applications, tourniquets, essentially stabilizing people who otherwise would really be in in great danger before EMS arrived. You nailed it, Jim. And and you you pretty much listed off everything from a trauma perspective. But keep in mind too, you know, EMT basics have this huge knowledge base for medical things, things like uh, strokes and things like cardiac, uh, you know, compromise, heart attacks, myocardial infarctions, even basic things like you know the difference between you know ab abdominal pain and you know and and like I said, a stroke before, right? They have that ability to come in and and assess and kind of have a good idea of what's going on. So not only do they have that ability to show up as a law enforcement officer and potentially call the right people, uh, they also have the ability to be a force multiplier on these calls where we do have fire and EMS working together. And when we really sit back and think about this isn't a, a novel concept in California, right? When we look at what the roles and responsibilities of a firefighter is, you know, these guys are trained in hazmat. These guys are trained in firefighting. These guys are trained in most cases, water rescue. These guys are trained in every type of rescue you could think of so that when that situation arises, they can pull it off their belt and use it. We're, we're simply just advocating that law enforcement should be able to do the same thing with, with EMT training and, and EMR training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, I've been called upon by some of our paramedics to help them in situations. I was training a rookie and they immediately had me pulled me to put some four by fours over this individual who unfortunately had his throat slit at a scene and um, and I'm applying the Ambu bag while they're, you know, putting lines in and the compression pants and all of that. 
And then they get my rookie to drive the rig to our emergency hospital. And I so wanted to swap seats with her, but uh, <laughs> it was, I was already hands-on. And so in, the, in that case, I certainly wished I had some more training. I've seen videos where cops are in distress because they're, they're at wit's end about what they should be doing. Um, how many of you trained so far? So we, we kind of break that up into two categories. So throughout um, the, the history of the Radom Group, we're about 5,000 guys. But keep in mind, a lot of that is, is military. A lot of that is Department of Defense. Um, under this particular program that's law enforcement centric um, in the Bay Area, we're about 250, 250 guys through the, the program. Um, one thing that's so incredibly unique about this program, Jim, is um, through, uh, and again, you, you you even have way more history with this than I do, but um, through a unique program called UASI, um, Urban Areas Security Initiative, um, the departments that want their officers to be trained at the EMT level or at the EMR level um, essentially don't have to pay anything. Um, they can essentially, if, if, if they're a part of uh, the 13-county Bay Area uh, conglomerate, um, they can request this course and we can come on site and train their guys. They're really, the only thing that these agencies have to kind of figure out is um, – you know, how they pull somebody out of a, uh, out of a role for either four days or 10 days, depending upon what certification that they want. Mm -hmm. And there are UASIs all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. So funding that's, that's acknowledged. Uh, and no, one of the criticisms of UASI is that they train the urban area and not the surrounding rural areas who may actually need it more than, than the urban areas. And I think there's there's also the side issue that if something major, a seaburn event, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, explosive happens in that big city, I mean, think, you know, 9-11 type um, incidents, sure. then we're going to need response from those outside collateral um, rural areas, don't you think? No, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and one thing that I've I've had some really good experience with the, the Bay Area UASI, or I believe they, they call it BayTEP. Um, they are so good with at least our program. If there are outside agencies or rural agencies throughout California that, that find out that, hey, you know, we, we'd really love to send one or two guys to our program, um, they will absolutely uh, open up slots for them to do that. Again, I don't know how that works with the the rest of California, but we've had a lot of luck with uh, getting guys from from rural areas to jump into our EMT, our 10-day accelerated law enforcement EMT program. Yeah, that's um, good to hear. Yeah, and I think a lot of that too comes from the course host and, and SFPD has been a phenomenal course host for us. And I think they completely understand what you're talking about in terms of when that big when that big issue does happen in the big metropolitan area that they are going to be dependent on the, the agencies coming from the outside. So um, you know, special shout out to SFPD for for always hosting us and and then giving up those additional slots to those outside areas. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, my friend Charlie Pitt, who writes the uh, the Rural Badge, often talks about how undertrained and underequipped the rural, small town, and county um, law enforcement officers are. It'd be great to to get them trained up. I mean, they're out you know hundreds of miles without backup and without. EMS support. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the liability. Are we covered? Are law enforcement officers covered uh, under the same uh, guise of 
qualified immunity if they try a practice and and don't succeed? So yeah, no, great question because I think um, as we as this issue starts to pick up steam, um, and and we start to see more medicine being integrated into law enforcement. This is always on the tip of everybody's uh, you know tongue of, of of where does the the liability lie. So what what we're doing in particular with Radom Group, um, San Francisco Police Department, and UASI is we're training these guys at the uh, EMS uh, county, local, state, and then national level. So they're once these guys are done with our program that, and and they test, they're officially a national register nationally registered EMT basic. And once they then take that certification to the local county, they fall under the county's EMS medical director, the same as any other EMT would um, that's working on an ambulance or working on a fire truck. Um, And so within that realm, they're given protocols that they have to work within. um, And there's, you know, definitely a go area and there's definitely a no go area. There's there's but there's truly is no gray area. Right. It's all been kind of figured out through how EMS functions. There are other departments that do this differently, though, Jim. So there are certain departments that will um, have their own medical direction through through law enforcement. Um, and it, and again, in those systems in California, that works really well because you've got a, a, a much smaller swath of guys that are falling under a doctor. Um, that doctor knows these these guys well. That doctor is in charge of their training, their retraining, their recertification, and is able to kind of say, hey, I'm going to write the protocols just for these cops who happen to be EMTs. Mm-hmm. So in either one of those realms, the the liability essentially is still going to fall. It's going to it's going to kind of duly fall under the medical director that they work under and then the EMT that's that's there. Mm-hmm. And in theory, as long as the EMT is working within their scope of practice, as long as the EMT is following their protocols and their SOPs, that there truly is no liability um, that, that can essentially come backwards on them. Where we start to get into trouble is when we get guys that are working outside of their scope of practice, where we get guys that are working outside of their um, uh, you know, their, their medical direction and, and that can be problematic. But, uh, as of right now, we've got roughly within the Bay area, probably 200 law enforcement officers that have been through our program, have went out, have tested for national registry and are now out there working within their County EMS, uh, is essentially how that, that, that works for us. I don't mm-hmm. know if that, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. recently you may have heard our podcast where I talked to, uh, Davy, Florida, Doctor uh, uh, Antivy, and uh, Doctor Peter, yeah, yeah, Peter Antivy, and um, and Dan Moran, who is the assistant fire chief there, and they've got a, a sort of homegrown practice of what exactly what you're talking about, and under uh, Doctor Antivy's um, direction, and he talks about the Parkland shooting and how impressed he was to see that the injured were being cared for by law enforcement officers primarily huge huge right and and that's where we're starting to see that transition on the the active threat the active shooter side um you, you know when, when we started this gym i i never thought of it being a, a program that was going to help with active shooters i never thought of it being as a program that was going to help with um you know care for suspects we truly thought of this as a program that was going to help um you know god forbid if something happened to other officers and now mm-hmm. it's kind of evolved into this this three-pronged thing where you know god forbid a law enforcement officer does have to you know use their service you know weapon and and then afterwards what happens next well their their training kicks in and they're doing an assessment and they're calling for a trauma bag and all, all the optics of that ends up 
playing a huge role in, in what happened to that, that law enforcement officer during the, the course of that shooting, mm-hmm. um, which to me is, is incredibly valuable. It's incredibly valuable for the suspect that's in custody who's you know saying, hey, I can't breathe, and now having an officer that can take a second and say, hey, well, based on my training, um, you know, your skin signs don't look well. Your, your pulse oximetry is low. So let me reposition you and put you in a better position. That's incredibly valuable. The active threat situation to where if we've got a, a you know, a, a team that's going in there to get the bad guy, that that secondary and tertiary law enforcement team is going to be able to start to take a knee and triage and put on tourniquets and, and manage trauma. That's incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's, it's just so hard to pull a negative thread with, was standing up and shouting, Hey, cops should get this training too. Um, I know that, you know, there's, there's issues that we're always going to fight against with departments, especially coming across pulling guys out for 10 days to, to get EMT training um, or pulling guys out of an Academy where we're desperately trying to fill slots for four days to get EMR. If if that's what, you know, the departments choose, but, but in the long run, I mean, how valuable is this in comparison to, you know, driving, uh, or in comparison to, you know, uh, uh, you know, traffic laws, we feel it's the same amount of, of, of importance, right? And so we should be really investing in this, especially when we have programs where, where the departments don't have to, don't have to use their training budget for it. Right. Hey, I want to follow up with two of the things you just talked about, about training and then uh, duties at the scene of a shooting. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Eric O'Neill of the Radom Group, talking about EMS training for police. And Eric, you talked a little bit about um, active shooters and an officer-involved shooting. And two things the critics are really harping on, and that is, number one, the duty to intervene or the duty to administer aid. And this pretty much checks the box. If you have trained officers on scene, I just saw a great video this morning of an officer uh, pulling up to a, a vehicle. The suspect gets out of the car, points his weapon at the officers, then proceeds to run. Officers uh, chase shot fired, the suspect's hit in the leg, and suspect's down, handcuffed, and then the first thing you see uh, on the body cam is the officer's tourniquet that he's pulling out. So yeah, we're going to call for EMS, but in the meantime, this officer's got it. It must be on his duty belt. He pulls it out and he starts to apply it. I think that is, is a great response to the critics who say, Look, the guy laid there in the street for 10, 15 minutes or so, and nobody applied aid. And also, I think the other component is the training aspect where, you know, the critics expect an awful lot of officers, but don't realize the limitations of training. So 
it, it seems like two gigantic boxes would be checked with the training and the application of, of this EMR, EMS kind of training. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. And and luckily now with, you know, it almost, what is it, 96, 97% of the, the departments across the nation, um, you know, having camera on, on every call, we're able to see some of these successes. And we're, for that matter, we're able to see failures too, right? When, when we see officers not doing things, um, you know, for, for us, we think that the optics of this are huge, but it's, it truly goes back to the, the law enforcement officers want it. Um, this is not a man, mandatory course. So for the, the 250 or so officers that I said have been through this program, Jim, n- none of them have been so that, you know, they're meeting a prerequisite so that they can be a part of a SWAT team. This was a, a UASI course where it got sent out on a flyer and some patrol cop from Oakland or some patrol cop from the mission in San Francisco said, hey, I'm constantly on these medical calls and I know no idea what I'm doing right now. So this would be a great way for me to fulfill my job as a law enforcement officer. And so um, when it comes to that, you know, I can't speak to how the critics are, are would view this program. Um, we have not come across anybody truly that has said, hey, this is a bad idea. Um, we have come across things that says, hey, cops really don't care about medicine. And I would say that that's absolutely a fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my in my younger age, uh, I, I developed a the nation's most accelerated EMT program. And in the time that I was there, I probably put through almost 11,000 EMT students. And I would tell you right now that, that cops are probably some of the best students that you can come across. Um, their ability for patient assessment is is amazing. Um, and and their ability and their want to learn is amazing. And so um with that, you know, I cops want the training. I, I think the departments can figure it out in most cases uh of of, of giving the guys time for the training. Mm. Uh for us, it's a matter of explaining why it's important. And I think, you know, you're helping me helping me do that today here, Jim. So I appreciate you. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, we've seen like, like I talked about the gradual introduction of medical assessments, uh, right from people on the street, we've changed policies, we used to put drunks who couldn't walk into a radio car, transport them, put them in a cell, three hours later, check on them, and they're dead. Yeah, that's not happening anymore. So the assessments made, and then at least in San Francisco, and then a, a, an ambulance comes. And now we're administering across the nation, cops are administering Narcan or Naloxone to people that are unresponsive. And so there's some a training component that goes along with checking people's vitals and trying to check if they're breathing and looking at their pupils and things. So the ball seems to have already started rolling in that direction. Yeah, for sure. And and taking it from one step from Narcan training to the next, which would be, you know, an EMR where we're able to medically assess folks and then EMT, we're able to medically assess and then provide some interventions. Yeah, I think you nailed it. You know, we, uh, the advent of, of Narcan and, um, you know, getting into cops hands was the the kind of the first thing for these guys to medically come in. We, we joke in our business of, um, you know, training cops in medicine, what happens if the Narcan doesn't work? And then they go, well, we put our thumbs in our belt and then we go, where's the, where, where's the bus at? Right. And so that's where EMR or EMT can jump right back in there and saying, Hey, if, if the Narcan didn't work, well, let's go back to your assessment. Let's figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, is he breathing? Is he not breathing? What's his heart rate? 
um, you know, what's going on with skin signs. Let's, you know, do a physical assessment. And so we can start to, or we could continue to figure out what's potentially wrong with this person. And, you know, time is critical. Uh, when we start thinking about medical issues like not breathing or strokes or, or cardiac arrest, you know, we always like to say in medicine that, that time is muscle, um, but we can kind of stop time to some extent, as long as we're providing certain interventions. And, and I think law enforcement absolutely can fulfill that role, even if it's two or three minutes until that ambulance shows up or till that fire uh, engine shows up. Sure. And I think I know the answer to this one, since the training is offered and not compelled, what's the feedback been so far? Um, it's tough. So we're, you know, we're an accelerated 10 day uh, EM, law enforcement EMT course. Um, when we think about most EMT courses, Jim, they're semester long. Some of them are four or five months long. And so we're, we're condensing a ton of information down into a very short period of time. We're boot camp, uh, a boot camp style. So we're, we don't offer, um, you know, gentlemen or gentlewomen's courses. So we're tough on these guys. We're, we're very much um, similar to the way that an academy would be. Um, and I think the guys that, that can make it through our course are, are, are speaking incredibly highly of it. Um, and I think, um, doesn't matter if you're SWAT, it doesn't matter if you're a patrol officer. I think, uh, the guys appreciate that we're specific in our delivery, um, in terms of teaching this to law enforcement, instead of teaching this to EMS or teaching this to fire, because there's, there's different mentalities in terms of that student base. Um, cops are a little bit more gritty and, and we enjoy that, right? We, we like, you know, we like teaching guys that have been on the street for five, 10, 15, 20 years. And, um, you know, I think we've had a pretty good reception for the, the guys that have come through our course. Mm -hmm. um, we just actually had four, uh, four graduate there or uh, pass their national registry EMT out of San Francisco yesterday. So that was from our last course that we had two months ago. And now they're out in the street and, um, you know, making a difference. So, yeah, well, they are, they're needed because, you know, there are limited um, ambulance response and uh, we just had a shooting nine people shot the other night. And I'm sure some of those officers were applying aid before. I mean, what are we talking? Three, four rigs that are needed yeah. for that yeah. amount of victims. So yeah, all hands on deck. Absolutely. What, what percentage of an agency, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up in, in, <laughs> in uh, respect for your time, what percent of an agency should have this kind of training? Um, that's a great question. And so our, our thought process and, and our, our test has truly been through San Francisco Police Department. Um, and I think we're, we're kind of still in the middle of that test. Um, San Francisco Police Department has been pretty gracious with the idea of getting their specialty guys, this EMT training, um, getting some of their sergeants, some of their their guys that are in more of a supervisory role into uh, this training, and then potentially augmenting the rest of the entirety of the department with that EMR that I, I I talked about. So what you have is maybe at any given point in time in the city of San Francisco, you might have five or six or seven cops that have EMT training that can show up from a district perspective and provide some oversight to the other law enforcement officers and kind of liaison with fire and EMS on these calls that we discussed today. But then every other officer has that absolute, you know, four day EMR baseline um, as well. So that from an assessment standpoint, from a, a suspect in custody standpoint, that they can they can have some of that that medical foundation. So to directly answer your question, Jim, I'd say 100%. But we also realize that, um, you know, going into an agency like San Francisco and saying, hey, 
we need to pull a thousand of your cops out for a 10 day training is, is pretty crazy. Right. So, um, you know, start with the sergeants, let's start with the specialty guys, let's start with some of the team guys, and then let's figure out a way to integrate this training in the Academy. And that way that everybody coming out has this baseline. Mm -hmm. Well, I like to say, I've heard it before that the best army is a volunteer army. So get them <laughs> trained up first. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's, We've seen iterations of this. I talked about Dr. Antivy and 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 Dan Moran in, in uh, Florida and right here in California, Sunnyvale PD has a public safety department. There are very few across the nation that train officers in law enforcement, EMS, and firefighting. So they, yeah. I think they actually take rotations through th those jobs uh, every two years, something like that. But I mean, what a great concept, great idea to be able to get there and start handling it uh, rather than, like you say, waiting with your thumbs in your belt, waiting for somebody else to come. Great idea. Well said. Yes. Thank you. Um, so how can our listeners hear more about the training, find out about the training? Um, we're the Radom Group. Um, and then I think I've sent you some stuff, Jim, that you can maybe put up, but, um, the Radom group, um, you know, dot com, And then through, if you're law enforcement through your local UWASI, um, San Francisco police department has a great course host. Um, and, uh, worst case scenario, if you can't find any other information on this, just go on the BayTEP website. Um, that's Bay area training and exercise program, but we're the Radom group, the BayTEP website or through UWASI. Okay. For sure. You'll see the links in our Show notes, if you're just listening, it's, he's, he's from Texas. So he says, wait, <laughs> it is R-A-Y-T-O-M.com. And uh, yeah, some great resources there. And hey, appreciate you doing this. Appreciate you taking time to tell us about it today. Thanks, Jim, Eric. Thank you so much, Jim. Appreciate you. You're doing great work. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Hey, listeners, what do you think? Are you ready to go hands-on when you get to some of these incidents. Uh, I've taken the CERT courses in um, administering the, you know, the stop the bleed and you're packing wounds. Are we up for that? Are we putting fingers with gauze inside wounds and wrapping them tight and putting on the tourniquet? I think so. I think it's a great resource and a great training to have. Let me know what you think. Drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. All right, stay safe and thanks for listening. I hope to talk to you again soon and check us out on YouTube where you can see both our mugs talking to you today. All right, take good care. Talk soon.